Psalm 71, verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Praise. You know what? Praise is not about the music. To illustrate this, I'm going to show you just a little bit of what music can make us do. When I was in college, as some of you know, I studied music. I studied music composition. And as part of studying music composition, I created a definition of what is the art of music composition. I'd better be an expert in it. So this definition that I came up with, and this was after a lot of really careful study, music composition is the art of manipulating someone's emotions and perceptions of time using sounds they don't realize they understand. Because if you can control the emotions, you can control a person's decisions. And if you can control a person's decisions, then you can tell them what to think. Music is insanely powerful. This is why composers were so heavily targeted in Soviet Russia for political reasons, because the Soviet government at the time understood what music can do. But here's the thing. Music is never an end to itself. Music points to, music describes, music shapes our vision of something much greater than music. So when the ancient Hebrews sang, the Lord is my shepherd, they were not talking. It wasn't about, so me, fare, so, and so on and so forth. It was forming hearts around the identity of the one true and almighty God. And when Paul sang, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, it doesn't matter to us what Tooney sang, because frankly, we don't know. Fact is, it's not about the music. And I used music to introduce this today, because we often think when we hear praise that we're talking about music. Music is a vehicle for delivering the praise of our Lord. But you know what? It is not usually our first or main vehicle for delivering God's praise. One of the things we have to first know is that it's not about the music. We also need to know that praise and worship, while very, very similar, are not exactly the same. Worship involves the position of our heart in showing greater honor to a higher power. We put the honor up, we put our humility down. Therefore, this deals with the orientation of our heart, the direction we're facing in ascribing foremost honor to another being. Side note, with worship, we can only ever worship one thing at a time. And you know, there is only one entity who is ever truly worthy of worship, and that is the one true and living God who reveals himself in the 66 books of Scripture. 
Okay, so we've got some idea for worship. What's praise? What's praise? I'm going to let you keep seeing what worship is while we talk about praise so that we can compare the two. Praise gets the heart into it. Praise finds joy in the actions or attitudes of some other being. And while we'll spend most of today dealing with what praise does rather than what praise is, praise is a matter of action. If worship is the direction in which we face, praise is what we do when we get there. Praise is essentially dependent upon the prior position of our hearts in worship. So it's right that the word in which we focus is praise today, even though logically we know we have to put worship first. Another thing about praise. Praise is right and good in many cases. It's right for me to praise my music students when they sing on pitch and play the correct rhythm. It is right for me to praise my daughter when she comes home showing off a new skill that she has learned. It's right for me to praise a church family for being grateful, for giving thanks, for showing their love for one another in prayer. And I am happy, happy, happy to do this. You realize God himself gives praise to others. God says, this is the one of whom I'm well pleased, talking about his son, Jesus Christ. God says, of those who come home to heaven, well done, my good and faithful servant. God says, I delight in the heart that, and he gives these attributes throughout the Psalms, throughout the New Testament, that shows that God himself gives a measure of praise, a type of praise, a type of positive, joyous acknowledgement of other things. Today, we're limiting our definition of praise, though. We're not talking about God's praise of other things. We're not talking about our praise of other things. We're not directly dealing with worship itself. But true praise of God is also always worship. And here's where praise and worship really come head to head at the threshold of eternity. Because according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Worship is universal. Even the souls who for their own rejection of Jesus Christ are condemned forever to eternal punishment in hell. Even those souls will worship God because they will acknowledge that he is the rightful holder of all power and authority. But those souls will not praise. They're still in their rebellion, and that rebellion is sealed forever. The ones who will praise are the ones who find joy in who God is, in what he has done. And those who praise Jesus Christ at the threshold of eternity will be praising him, living in perfect peace with him forever. We've laid aside a few things that praise is not going to be our focus. Well, these things about praise are not going to be our focus today, but we are going to live in praise and we're ready to tell exactly what praise is. There are other definitions out there. This is the definition that I have spent time praying over that I am going to work with for the sake of today. Praise is finding joy in giving God honor 
recognizing who he is and what he does. And we're going to live in what this praise means so that we will mold our lives to resonate with his praise. Anybody here say you're still kind of a diamond in the rough? Yeah, I am too. But you know what happens? That diamond comes under some pressure and a lot of heat and eventually gets kind of shaved down on different sides and shaped to where we see these beautiful, glimmering facets of light reflection on the sides of this diamond. And today we are going to see some facets of the heart that is molded by praise. Let us pray. Father, let us rejoice in knowing you. Let us not merely acknowledge that you are God, for the scripture says that the demons do so and shudder. But let us take joy in who you are and what you have done for us. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. The first thing we need to see about praise is that praise is the aligning of our hearts. In Philippians 4, 4 through 8, we read, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Because a lot of the things that are around us in this world are morally neutral. For example, let's say you take a job as a cabinet maker. There is no scriptural command that you need to be a cabinet maker. There's also no word in the scripture that says, do not dare be a cabinet maker. In and of itself, having the job of being a cabinet maker is morally neutral. I did it for a summer. I can tell you that that's not for me. What about playing the piano, though? Never does the scripture say, you must play the piano. Some of us are very grateful for that, I'm sure. But never does the scripture say, you must not play the piano. In and of itself, playing the piano is morally neutral. But it becomes either good or evil in the sight of God with how we use it in our resources, in the intentions of our heart, in our opportunities, and in our actions. So the question is, how are we using it? And got to be honest with you. If cabinet making is its own end, not pointing toward anything at all greater, we might as well die and never make a cabinet again. If playing the piano is for its own purpose and only for its own purpose, I might as well die and never make another melody. If, however, these things are done with a heart humble under Almighty God, out of true relational fellowship with God, 
if we can rejoice in the Lord as we are building cabinets, if we can hold whatever other job and these things, rather than making us anxious, are ways in which we keep our hearts open to God and are guarded by his peace, as we read here, even making cabinets, even playing the piano, can be tools for his glory in amazing, unfathomable ways. Can we praise God while doing it? That's the question. Because our praise reveals what's good or evil. If in going about our lives, we praise the things that God praises, look with me again at verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, and so forth. If we praise the things God praises, these things are good. And not good because of anything in us. They are good because the blood of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross of Calvary has taken away every punishment for our own deficiencies and has named us righteous under God the Father. But if our praise is of different things than God praises, or if we try to make our praise happen by ungodly means to make our cabinet-making worth more or our piano-playing, we have turned it from morally neutral into evil. Gotta say, I'm guilty. I have pursued music for its own sake, and I saw that it ended badly for me. I have sought to put other things first at times in my life, and I saw how that only leads to death. Ultimately then, what is praiseworthy is also what is godly. We realign our hearts when we seek out the things that are praiseworthy. Second, we need to see that praise is exercising our whole selves. And I brought my life first to show with this one. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, does the scripture say we do some things in the name of the Lord Jesus? Do we do our church things in the name of the Lord Jesus? Do we do our things when we're out in public in the name of the Lord Jesus? No. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Begrudgingly? Angrily? Half-heartedly? No. We do it giving thanks, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Is that easy? At all times, is that easy? If you've had a hard life, it's hard to give praise continually, but that's exactly what we're called to do, and that takes our whole selves. It's an immense physical effort to go places and do things that aren't, to be, that aren't easy. Not to glorify our feelings, but you know what? If our feelings were left to make the decision, it would be absolutely exhausting to live praising every moment. But you know what? We have the power of Jesus Christ. We have his work in our hearts to change us, to motivate us, to cultivate lives of praise and hearts of thanksgiving that will last through all the rough times. It's also a great spiritual effort. 
I know a man. One of the most joyous people I have ever met. He will be so happy to see you that you feel kind of startled at first. He'll run up and give you this great big bear hug. Six foot three guy, 260 pounds of pure muscle. He's not a small man. But I've watched this man weep with joy at seeing good things that God is at work to do. And you know, I've also stood by that man's side as he has struggled with mental illness. I've been on the receiving end of a phone call with that man when we thought his life itself was on the line. And I've watched as he has had to nurse himself back to health from a mental health crisis. But you know what? I talked to him just this morning. He is still joyous. He is still singing the praise of God. Even though he has been through a whole lot. Tell you what, if life is hard, it's hard to praise. But praise is always right. And praise will, right praise will exercise our whole selves. This is also an all time thing. Got an honest question for you here. Back at the very beginning, before the beginning, in eternity past, when God looked down into all that he would do and all that we would be, which part of God set out a rescue plan for us? Which part of God? Someone's thinking that's the wrong question to ask. God is one God. You're right. There was no part that set out the rescue plan. His whole being was involved. So let me ask this. When he looked into our own hearts from eternity past, and he saw that we are nothing but vile and guilty sinners, which part of us was not impacted by sin at all? Any part? At our core, Scripture tells us we were sinners. We were dead even in our trespasses. Okay, so rescue plan comes. Jesus Christ lives the life that we should have lived, dies the criminal's death that we were meant to die because of our sins. And I ask you there on the cross, as he's saying, it is finished, as his blood is falling on the ground, which part of Jesus Christ was not involved in paying our ransom? Nothing. He was all in. He was all in. So then, when that ransom is applied to a heart that trusts in Jesus Christ today, which part of us is not rescued? None. None. Therefore, I have a follow-up question for all these. What part of us should not praise. We are to live lives of continual praise. That's how great is the God who came to pay our way. That is how great is the love that poured out blood on the cross. That is how great he is. And that's why we can delight in his praise in much as the way the hymnist prayed 
Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. You know, we're also commanded to praise in all circumstances. Many of us have heard of Corey Ten Boom, who after released from a concentration camp, due to a clerical error, I might add, she began serving the Lord with a traveling lifestyle, preaching to many people, seeing countless people who had been in the concentration camps who had suffered under the horrors in World War II, ministered to, given new homes, new lives, new hopes. All over Europe and all over the United States, she had a speaking ministry for about 40 years. But people don't tend to know about Corey's older sister, Betsy, quite so often. Betsy died because of other health complications in the concentration camps. But Betsy was continually pleading with Corey and with the others in her cell block to search for the best in everything, in all circumstances. And for Betsy Tenboom, this meant at one point thanking God for the cockroaches. What? What? The cockroaches? You mean like those little nasty bugs that were infesting the beds and the bunks in this German concentration camp building? Yes, the cockroaches. The prisoners didn't know this at the time. Betsy herself didn't know this at the time when God opened her heart to be thankful for the cockroaches. But in most of the cell block buildings in this concentration camp, the guards would always stop in and walk through the building and make sure people were following all their rules. In this building, they would just peek in the window and move on because the guards themselves were scared of the infestation of the cockroaches which gave the ladies in this particular building the freedom that very few had to hold a Bible study right there, to sing songs of praise right there in the middle of Nazi Germany to Almighty God in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the cockroaches. Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were always searching for the good in everything. You know, it's not always easy to search for the good. I have one of these. It's an iPhone. And my generation takes a little bit of flack sometimes for constantly being on our phones. Some of it's merited. It's true. But you know what? There's something else about this phone. I'm teaching my music class at school. The phone is kind of out of sight, out of mind. But when I've finished my teaching, when my mind has had a moment to reset and relax, one of the first things I'll often do, I'll take out this phone. I'll text Julie. Hey, this is one awesome thing that happened today. Hey, this is one weird thing that happened today. Hey, how are you doing? And in so doing, I am in constant relationship that bounces back from wherever else through this device. Not for the sake of this device, but pointing to my relationship with my beloved bride. We are meant to have that same type of constant relationship of praise with our almighty 
God. Praise is ultimately improving our relationship. For this, we come to Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Boy, how do you, if that isn't praise, I don't know what is. Praise is always interpersonal. In this psalm in particular, we see ways that this praise connects and restores our relationship with God. Because, you know, I can't praise something else that doesn't exist. I can't praise without that praise having someone or something being praised. This psalm takes somebody who has been through it all, who has suffered at the hands of evildoers and now has this kind of trauma reaction going on. And we see it in the way this psalm is worded. Trauma sufferers will tell you that it's kind of like their brain gets stuck, spinning on this one thought again and again and again and again, unable to move on. The verses that I omitted from this psalm all continually list all the ways that the wicked are prospering here. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Here all the spinning stops. That heart is wrapped up in this big hug as the Lord reminds us that we are his children. Then I discerned their end. Then I saw that they are in God's hands and that I am in hands that are more able to protect than anyone else will ever be able to hurt. And so we praise. As our relationship with God is restored, we praise. And as we praise, we see that our relationship with God is restored. Why? He's always, always with us. Honest question. Show of hands. If you have spent more than three minutes at a time this past week thinking about the fourth toe of your left foot, raise your hand. Nobody? Now, let's see. This actually is a pretty important toe. It's been with you for everything. It was with you on the day you were born. It was with you on the day when you ran off from mom and dad to start kindergarten. It's with you on the day you graduated high school, the day your kid was born, the day you found out your grandkid was born. You've had this toe with you all the time, but you've not really spent much time thinking about it, right? Unless you've had a really weird, specific medical condition that necessitated otherwise, we don't normally notice it's there. But we run the risk of being so enveloped in the world around us that we treat God in a spiritual sense just like that toe. We know, in a sense, that he's always with us, but we never really give him much thought unless the condition merits it. Maybe a condition like, I don't know, uh, showing up in church. 
We should never treat God as that toe. Because though he is always with us, our relationship with him is continual. And because he is always with us, our relationship with him may be continual, always bouncing back to him whenever there's a pause in anything else. Kind of like I mentioned I do with texting Julie. So we exercise our relationship the more we recall and take joy in who he is and what he has done. This quote is not original to me, but sadly I could not find the original source from which I heard it. Unending praise makes an unwasted life. Hmm, sounds good, doesn't it? We need that. We need, in order for our life not to be wasted, to be continual in our act of praise of Almighty God, taking joy in that He's the honored one and we are not. Unending praise makes an unwasted life. Next, we see that praise is obeying our God. Psalm 150 had to come up at some point today. This is a great song. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Praise him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I believe that we have this word, praise, commanded 13 times in just six verses right here. I had a Hebrew professor back when I was in seminary. And he insisted that everybody would speak Hebrew in heaven. Here's how we prove that. The first word in this psalm is a command word in scripture. And that word is hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. Does anybody know that word hallelujah? Does anyone see that that word is a command to give God praise? So God said it, we do it. That's as simple as it is. God says do it, we do it. Can I get an amen? Hey, you know two Hebrew words. He not only commanded, commands this praise, he models it for us. We see this example, this beautiful parade of praise marching into the temple. This is a chaotic ruckus, honestly, if we're looking at it closely. But we see that he also is the empowerment for us. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We read in verse 6, who gave us the breath? God breathed his breath into the man and he became a living being. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. He empowers our praise. Comes down to this. What's the excuse? What's our excuse? Let's make a quick distinction. Obeying God is not obeying something else. Does the scripture ever command, for example, that we walk calmly, respectfully into church, we sit down, we spend our time here, we walk calmly and respectfully out, does the scripture ever specifically command that? No. There are churches in other parts of the world where if you did that, something would be seriously wrong. Where people will sometimes enter 
jumping for joy, praising God at the top of their lungs, and will leave doing the same thing. There are churches and places where people will enter on their knees because they are so convicted with sin in their soul, with their need to be right with God, that they can't even bear to look up. We're not commanded a specific way. Obeying God is not about how we walk into church or something like that. But some of the things that we try to hang as commands are like this. They're actually things that we are kind of used to. They're culture things, tradition things. Might be generally good ideas, but not strictly commanded. Praise is not one of those things. Praise is directly commanded without exception. We can take other things lightly. We must take obeying God seriously. Let me be clear, though. God doesn't horse-collar us. God doesn't run up, shake us by the shoulders, say, you must be happy, you must praise. I'd be kind of scared if he did, honestly. He doesn't do that. He's powerful enough, though. He's worthy enough. In fact, he is so powerful that he doesn't need to get our attention that way. Instead, he patiently and persistently pleads that we would become active, willing participants in the praise because that gift was so costly. That rescue was so wonderful. This God is so great. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So how do we actually make this praise happen? Because, Will, it's easy enough talking about praise while we're here in church, when we're focused on God, when I'm surrounded by people who believe most of the same things that I do about Jesus and the Bible. But what about when I go home after the end of a 12-hour day and a grumpy customer has just poured coffee all over me? What about when somebody I love dies? What about when things go wrong in life? How do I take these great truths of praise and actually live them? What about those times when I try to praise and I fail and I end up worse than when I started? How do we value praise the way that we see in Scripture? These are mere ideas. These ideas will not change your life. This is not a five-step solution to, oh my goodness, perfect praise. But if these or something like this will couple with your heart before the Lord to humbly draw you to take joy in celebrating who he is. Try some of these. Maybe find one thing more than yesterday that was praiseworthy. Okay, yesterday I was able to thank God for these three things. Today I'm going to try to thank him for four things. Maybe I can compete with myself to see how much I can praise. Okay, can I weasel in praise into these eight moments? Can I back out into all these separate little times of the day for a moment of thank you, God? Just a little moment. It doesn't even have to be anything public or visible to others. Take the Psalms. Count the number of times or the number of ways God is praised there. I guarantee that if you can exactly count the number of times and ways God is praised in the Psalms, that there is a doctoral degree in Bible waiting for you. This is not 
an easy thing. I don't think that there is a defined number. It's more than we can count. We're still plumbing the depth of these Psalms 3,000 years after some of them were written. Okay, so what about not even just the Psalms? Try to count the ways he's praised in the prophets. It's a lot. Try to count the ways he's praised in the Gospels. Jesus Christ is the most glorious, joy-filled person who has ever walked on the face of the earth, and he is so because he is one with the Heavenly Father. Another thing you can do, find those who are the most praise-giving people around you and spend time with them. Learn from them. Look into their own walk with the Lord and let it sharpen yours. Now, for reason of time, I've chosen to kind of leave out our last point here. But that's a reminder for us that we can also mark out time for praise. Okay, I have these five minutes transitioning between this and that. I can stop and praise right here. Maybe I have this hour at the beginning of the day that if I set my alarm clock it up a little earlier, I can use this time for praise. However much or little time, whenever it is right in your walk with the Lord, in your lifestyle, in your environment, mark out time and say, this time is for nothing else but for praising God. Even if it means you take this, set it aside, leave it be. Even if you have to let go of something critically important to another area of life, praise is critically important to the life of your soul. Mark out time for praise. Once again, we have to skip just a little bit here. But all this comes to say, we are to mold our lives to resonate with praise. What does that actually look like, though? One of my favorite musical instruments is the vibraphone. If you don't know, it's a little bit like a xylophone, but made of metal. You've got these bars. You hit the bar, it'll sound a note, and that note keeps sounding and sounding and sounding. They can sound for three to four minutes in the right conditions. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Clear sound. One of the most beautiful sounds on earth. Short of human voices praising God. But that vibraphone bar, you know how it's made to make that sound? That metal has to be taken through it. It's shaved here. It's pressed there. Then they take this really, really precise knife. They cut these little holes and notches in the backside of the bar until you have exactly the right weight of metal at exactly the right shape to make this clear sound. This bar has to be carefully molded and shaped to praise. Just like our hearts have to be carefully molded and shaped by a fellowship with the Lord, by walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, by being with those around us who will praise, our hearts are molded to praise. And even by going through actions that take joy in who Jesus is, we become more able to sing his praise more in the future. The hymnist says, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. But here's this dark reality. Not all of us, whole world speaking, possibly even in this room, not all of us resound with joy at the praise of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we started out as God's enemies. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're still there. You're still an enemy of holy, righteous, 
almighty, loving, and good God because we are dead in sin. The only way that we can resound with praise is that Jesus Christ comes and makes us new. Remember, Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a death to pay for our sins against holy God, rose again on the third day. He is not dead. And because of that, the seal of the tomb is nothing compared to the seal of Jesus Christ upon the soul that has trusted in him. He calls us to repent of our sin, leave that way behind us, and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you feel that you need to respond to the Lord with a new commitment to praise, or maybe with a first-time commitment to follow Jesus Christ, the front altar is open. Come and pray. Come and speak with me or with Daniel. Respond as the Lord leads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for the amazing worth of who you are. And we pray that this would well up in our souls for a joy that surpasses all circumstances, that we would give you all glory with our hearts and with our minds now and forever because of how great you are, because of how Jesus has loved us. We praise you. Help us to praise you all the more. In the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, we pray. Amen.